Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Ebenezer family and everyone else who's joined us online today. We're glad that you're with us. And this morning, I have the privilege of kicking off our new sermon series as we enter a new year. And it's a series that I believe is both uh, very timely and incredibly important for us. It's a series on prayer that we're calling My House, A House of Prayer. Now, for those of you who know the scriptures, you probably recognize this phrase comes from the mouth of Jesus. It was directed towards the religious leaders and Jewish people as he angrily cleansed the temple in Jerusalem in the last week of his time on earth. Uh, he was quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and this is what he said. He declared, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer. And that's found in, in all three, uh, three of the Gospels, Luke and Matthew and Mark. And as we're going to see this morning, Jesus' words and his actions show us the great value and the great importance God places on the prayers of his people. Jesus knew firsthand the power of prayer because he lived a life of prayer. And he also knew the importance of prayer for his people. He knew that prayer changes everything. Now, over the next five weeks, we're going to focus on prayer. Uh, We're going to teach you how to pray by walking with you through some prayer essentials and foundations. We're going to call you to pray by reminding you how desperately we need God to intervene in our lives. We're going to challenge you to pray by showing you how much of what happens around us is dependent upon our prayers. We're going to motivate you to pray by reminding you how much God desires to answer our prayers. And we're going to inspire you to pray by telling you stories of the spiritual fruit produced when God's children pray. But for today, we're going to begin our series by taking a closer look at Jesus' words as he cleansed the temple, because they will help us put prayer in its proper context. Now, I don't know about you, but over the Christmas season and as we began the new year, I've been thinking a whole lot about the things that have changed for us over this past year and the implications that that means for us in the future. There's significant things. You know, for example, last year at this time, our church building was was filled with people throughout the week and on the weekend. And you came to us uh, to worship God and to be taught by God. Now that's totally reversed, and we're coming to you. Last year, much of our community life happened naturally as we gathered for our weekly programs and ministries. Today, we have to be creative and intentional to connect with our church family. Last year, much of our ministry happened inside the walls of this church. Today, our church is quiet, and many ministries, any ministries that happen will happen outside of these walls through you, in your homes, and in your schools and workplaces. Last year, we would gather around tables to pray for another in our many ministry events or invite you to come to the front of the church, to the altar, to be prayed for each and every Sunday morning. This year, the the tables are empty and the altar is vacant. And uh, we need to reach out to others to pray for them. And as I was thinking about this, it reminded me that the, the church hasn't stopped being the church just because we aren't able to meet in person. 
and ministry hasn't stopped or at least it shouldn't stop just because we can't gather in this building and prayer hasn't ceased or at least it shouldn't cease just because we're not able to pray for people each weekend. But what has been a challenge uh, is, is our understanding and practices around these things and it's exposed some faulty or incomplete thinking around the nature of the church and the work of God. In theological circles, we would call much of what we did and how we typically practiced our faith as temple spirituality. And by that I mean it revolved around the, the buildings and the programs and defined leadership structures. And this is not unlike the temple in the Old Testament or the temple Jesus entered in Jerusalem to cleanse. Now, in the Bible times, the temple was central. And the Old Testament certainly affirmed the idea of special sacred space for meetings with God. But uh, let me just give you a little bit of a history lesson on, on the, the temple. We first see a sacred place built for God early in the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. It was a tabernacle. It was a temporary and mobile structure designed by God and for God so that a holy God could meet with His chosen people through a series of sacrifices and purification rituals. However, the temple wasn't unique to the Israelites. Many nations and cities in the ancient Near East built sacred temples for their gods, but their purpose of those temples was very different than the Israelites' tabernacle and subsequent temple in Jerusalem. Now, I don't want to overcomplicate this, but let me just try to quickly explain the difference to you. In, in the most like simple, basic terms, the people in the ancient Near East viewed the cosmos as having three levels. The heavens, where the gods lived, the earth where humans lived, and then the underworld where the dead lived. And they believed that the heavens and earth were separated by the sky, and as long as the gods were living in their heavenly temples, they were inaccessible to humans on earth. However, they also believed that certain places on earth would, would act as, as almost like portals between mortal men and these divine gods. And if they could find one of these portals, or they would call them sacred spaces or high places, where they believed a God had come down to earth, they would build a temple to entice the God to take up residence. And in their thinking, the bigger and more elaborate they built the temple, the more powerful deity they would attract, or at least they thought they would. You know, just think of the, the temple in Ephesus, the temple to Artemis. It, it was huge. And they, they believed that this God would then bring justice and order and wealth and fertility and strength to their city. And the people then did everything they could to keep their God happy. They would bring it offerings and money. They would entertain it with dance and music. They would even offer human sacrifices at times because they viewed their God as being demanding. Now, in contrast, the God of Israel and the temple in Jerusalem was, was the very opposite. The God of Israel was entirely self-sufficient. He did not need anyone's sacrifice. He didn't have to be coerced or bribed into a relationship. He wanted a relationship. Exodus chapter 25, 8 says this, Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. You see, the God of Israel chose to be with humans simply just because he wanted to. And the animal sacrifices and purification rituals were put in place so that it would be possible for a holy God to interact with an unholy people. And that's why in the Old Testament, right up until the first century, the people's relationship with God was centered on and limited to the temple. 
The temple was where the Lord resided, and it was the only place where they could meet with their holy God, even though they knew that their God was not limited to an earthly man-made temple or structure. However, when, when God took on flesh in Jesus, that we just celebrated, the nature and the purpose of the temple changed completely. Jesus replaced the temple and became the new temple or the new way to meet with God and have a relationship with Him. In the New Testament, we read that Jesus called Himself the temple. In John chapter 2, verses 19-21, it says, He said, Destroy this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. And the temple He had been speaking of was His body. He declared Himself to be greater than the temple in Matthew chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. And He dismissed the earthly temple as being obsolete in John chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. And that's the passage where it says, A time is coming when, when you will worship the Father neither on the mountain or in Jerusalem. So, uh, with that historical perspective, let's go back to Jesus' words as He cleansed the temple. My house will be called a house of prayer. So, here's my question. When Jesus says, my house, is Jesus referring to the Jerusalem temple that He was clearing? Well, no, no, He's not actually. He's referring to Himself. He was saying that, that His body is a house of prayer and that that perfect life He lived in complete obedience to His heavenly Father and the law that His Father put in place made Him the perfect sacrifice, the, the unblemished Lamb who would satisfy all that God's holiness required. You see, the animal sacrifices that God required were always temporary. They didn't last because they weren't complete. But Jesus did satisfy and complete the requirements of God. And as Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, His body, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and full of assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You see, my house is not just the physical bricks and mortar temple. It's Jesus Christ. So here's a second question for you then. So then, when Jesus ascended into the clouds and returned to heaven, what became of the temple since Jesus, the temple, was no longer present and the physical temple was going to be destroyed in a few years? We know that now. Uh, well, what happened then? Well, the Bible tells us that we became the new temple of the Lord, both individually and corporately. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your, in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. You see, when Paul says you together, he's meaning a group of believers gathered, which the Bible called the church or in the original language of the Bible, the ecclesia. Then in in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul calls the believer's uh, individual body the temple of God. He says, do you not know that your bodies are, are temples? of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your your body, with your, your temple. 
Then finally, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21, he calls the church a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become the holy temple in the Lord. So, so what am I saying in all this? Uh, you know, if Jesus Christ was a replacement of the physical temple in Jerusalem, then the church, as the body of Christ, is now the same temple, and not the bricks and mortar buildings like Ebenezer Baptist, but you and I, the flesh and blood people. In other words, the divine Christ is made manifest in the world through us together. So when Jesus says in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am among you, he's using temple language, only it isn't applied to a place, but to a gathering of people or to the ecclesia, the church. By the way, this is why the early Christians never bothered with the building, building physical church buildings for the first 200 years of their existence. They didn't feel like they needed a sacred place because wherever they gathered, usually in each other's homes, that place became a sacred space because the ecclesia was there, the gathering of people were there. And that made the place holy. The place did not make uh, them holy. So once again, let's just go back to our text. And when Jesus said, my house will be called the house of prayer, he was not just saying that the physical bricks and mortar temple in Jerusalem should be a house of prayer. Nor is he just saying that, that his body should be a house of prayer. He is saying that, that you, as an individual, are God's temple because you house God the Spirit and therefore your house, you, should be uh, a house of prayer. But he's also saying that we together, the ecclesia, the gathered ones, wherever that might be, in your home, in a restaurant, at the rink, in the park, at the lake, and yes, even in a physical building like Ebenezer, are his house. And his house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, I want you to just hold on to that idea for a second. And then I want you to reflect on how you and others you know have viewed the church building. You know, if I think if we were to be honest, we have tended to view our church buildings like the temple of the Old Testament and New Testament. We viewed them as sacred places. We called them the house of God. Most churches call their main auditorium the sanctuary. We center our activity around the building. We rely on the temple pastors to do the work of the ministry. We come to the church to meet with God and to worship Him. We come to the church to serve. The church is often the place where ministry happens. And again, in theological terms, that's called temple spirituality. Now, last March, uh, that temple model of worship and ministry was, was just ripped away from us. You know, my personal view of these last nine months is that it's been a time of refinement for the church, not a conspiracy against the church. It's a time God has given us to rethink and to reset our ways and practices so that we align more with the theology that we just talked about. Now, now don't, don't mishear me on this. 
I am for the church gathering together. And I, I really do honestly long for the time we can do that again. And I believe without a doubt that God meets us in a unique way when, when people gather together as a whole community. It's beautiful. But the building isn't a temple. It's just a place where we meet. It's not more or less holy than your home. God's presence is not more present here at Ebenezer in this building than anywhere else. Rather, God's house is wherever his believers are. And anytime and anywhere we gather together, we are God's temple because God is with us. Now, let me go back to the text one more time because the passage in the Old Testament adds a line that only Mark includes in the Gospel. Mark 11:17 says this, And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? That's what Isaiah says, For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You see, not only was the Old Testament temple a place where God met his, with his people and where they could meet with him and be cleansed and, and forgiven and healed and, and given instructions, the Old Testament temple was meant to be a place that drew in the nations so that they would know and experience the one and only true God, this God of love, this, this God of grace, this God of, of incredible mercy and unlimited power. And that is still God's heart today. He longs for all the nations to know him and he wants to use his people to be a house of prayer so that the nations will see him. And so when this house, Leighton, is, is a house of prayer, it's to draw the nations to God. And when your house, define that how you want to, your family, your, yourself, your Ebenezer hub, your small group, your men's prayer group, praise, it should draw the nations to the power and the goodness and love and mercy of our God. Because according to Jesus, my house, his house, us, will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So this is one of the reasons over the next five weeks we're going to teach you on prayer and to challenge you and, you know, and those you gather with to be a house of prayer. Now, in my head, and in my heart, I agree with everything I've just said, and hopefully many of you uh, do as well. We likely all agree that, that prayer is important, and we all long to become a house of prayer. I believe that. Pastor Jim Simbella uh, said it best, and he was a person that actually did a video called, uh, My House Will Be Called a House of Prayer. And this is what he told his congregation, his church, no matter what I preach or what we claim to believe in our heads, the future will depend on our times in prayer. Prayer is the engine that drives the church. In other words, if we have no prayer life as a church, we have no fuel to accomplish the task that God has called us to. And yet, uh, we know ourselves. <laughs> at, least, at least I know myself. And I know how easy it is to let prayer slide and be replaced by the busyness of life. Now, um, I, I, I long for our church to be a church of prayer, where prayer is our first and primary response to all that's happening around us. But my sense is that we're more a church with prayer than a church of prayer. We, we, we pray, but it's not always our first thing or our primary thing 
or our automatic default response to life. And so, so because of, of this tension that we have, of, of longing for something that we haven't quite arrived at yet, I just want to conclude today's message by, by giving you five reasons why, uh, why we need to pray and why we must become a people of prayer and our house is a house of prayer. Here's the first reason. We need to pray because of our desperate need and because our cries for help bring us back to God. You know, at its most basic, prayer is is a cry for help. Paul exhorted us to pray in order to have our needs met. And our needs and, and the needs of those around us are significant. We just have to think of our own lives and the, and the lives of people in our church family to, to know some of the things that people are going through physically, uh, emotionally, relationally. The pressures in their life is huge. Philippians 4 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, we were, we were never designed to do life apart from our Creator. And, and John 15 connects our need with, with our relationship with Him. He says this, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. This is Jesus speaking. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you're the branches. And if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, by by tying our needs to prayer, it encourages us us to go to God. And when we go back to God and and we find, uh, you know, much more uh, than simply the answers to our daily needs. Second, we need to pray because prayer grows our faith. The, the scripture tells us that God knows our needs before we even ask. So then, if He knows our needs, why doesn't He just give us what we need? Why do we have to ask God f- for these things in prayer? It's because I think that God often waits for us to ask Him so that we will properly value the gift that He gives. And when it comes, then our hearts will be turned to Him in gratitude and renewed trust in the one who who answers our prayers. James makes makes it clear that that God ties our needs to prayer. James 4.2 says this, You do not have because you do not ask God. You see, when God hears and answers our prayer, we discover that He cares about us and that He's listening to us and that He is good to us and, and so on. And when He answers in ways that we were not expecting or asking for, we discover even more about Him and we, we are amazed at His kindness to us and His wisdom because He's an amazing God. And when we orchestrate all kinds and when He orchestrates all kinds of events and circumstances in order for our prayers to be heard, we learn firsthand of His sovereignty in our lives. And these things cause us to trust Him more, which leads us to worship Him more and to love Him more and to obey Him more. A third reason that we must pray and become a people of prayer is because we need to pray, because prayer changes us. 
when we go into God's presence through prayer, it, it changes us. You know, look at some of the examples of how uh, we are changed in prayer. You know, our desires are replaced by His desires. Philippians 2 says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Our perspectives are changed in life. You know, have you ever prayed for someone or something and God changed your heart or attitude towards that person or that, that circumstance? Well, that happens all the time. Another thing, our, our understanding has changed. You know, think of the example of Peter. Uh, while he was praying in the, uh, the upper room, God gave him a vision that challenged and changed his thinking about Gentiles in God's kingdom because God wants to, to change our thinking on things. A uh, fourth reason we need to pray is because we need to be strengthened for the battle. In the passage about spiritual warfare, Paul charges us in, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he tells us how to be strong by putting on the full armor of God so we can stand against the devil's schemes. Again, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, without uh, Jesus and without prayer and without him in our life, we can't do anything. We have no life. We have no strength. But when we pray, we find new strength and new boldness. And I just think of the first century church. In Acts chapter 4, we read this amazing verse that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. One final reason we need to pray is to receive specific direction for living and ministering. Next week, Pastor Kelly is going to walk us through um, the disciples' prayer. And one of the lines in that prayer is that we're to pray for the will of God and His kingdom to be enacted on earth just like it is in heaven. You know, we recently hosted a Hearing God seminar at the church and we'll be offering, offering that again once things open up, uh, hopefully in the new year here. But one of the key takeaways for me was, was just how much God longs to speak to us when we listen for Him. You know, throughout the scripture we see example after example of God's people being given specific instructions from the Lord. And God still wants to speak to us today in the same way. And so, those are some of the reasons that I'm really looking forward to this series. I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I know how desperate we are as people and how we need to pray that God is our source of strength. And, and I'm looking forward to it because I want this house, me, Layton, to be a house of prayer. And I want this house, you, our church family, wherever you're gathered, to be a better house of prayer. So, uh, if you would, would you, would you just bow your heads with me and I would just like to pray and ask that God would speak to us uh, throughout this series. So, Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that you, in your simple statement, when you cleared the temple, said, my house will be called the house of prayer. And help us, God, to understand what that means and to make sure that, that this house, that we are people of prayer, wherever we are. And so, God, teach us and encourage us uh, during this series, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.